This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Digger... Dylan, Mac, and Laney followed Mora and made their way to the outer rim through the garbage lines. On their journey, they encountered hostile scavengers and even survived the tunnels being flushed. But after realizing their underground passage to the outer rim was blocked, they had to surface and continue the journey through the heart of the Crystal City, Ryan. Shortly after they'd surfaced, they came across a demonstration of risers who were gathered to hear a speech by their leader, Kai. The risers discovered and captured Dylan and his friends before they could get away. And now for episode five, Kai's Castle. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Digger.
A slick yellow airship buzzed down Ryan's main street, gracefully weaving between traffic and stopping for no one. From the back seat, Dylan stared out the windows and watched the crystal buildings whiz by. Just moments ago, he was marveling at their beauty, and now he wanted to get as far away from them as possible. He didn't know what this Kai person was capable of, but judging by his sinister-looking goatee and the way Mora acted when he was brought up, he knew the guy was bad news. But what was he planning to do with them? Dylan couldn't shake the thought of Kai's creepy smile as he looked down on them from the flag projection. The airship suddenly braked to allow a Union Patrol airship to zoom by in pursuit of what looked like a speeding jet ski. Once they passed, the man in the driver's seat mumbled a few curses and they continued. Their driver, a pale muscular Ryanite with black hair, steered them past the commotion and through traffic. He stared straight ahead, stone-faced and silent, resisting the temptation to yell back at Mac, who was distracting him with a million questions. I want to speak with a lawyer, Mac was saying. I'm assuming you have lawyers down here? You know, nice suits, fancy socks, greasy hair, they're on virtually 90% of billboards. The driver clenched the steering wheel and growled to himself. I'm not saying a word without a lawyer present, Mac insisted, even though he'd had plenty to say since they'd started the drive. Will you just be quiet for two seconds? Dylan snapped. Look around, Mac. Does this look like home to you? We're basically on another planet. There are no lawyers here. Mac shriveled back, offended. Excuse me for trying to protect us. <laughs> protect us? Dylan muttered under his breath. More like protect yourself. What's that? Mac asked, but he'd heard what Dylan had said. Forget it. A couple seats away, Mora was bouncing her legs anxiously. The driver had taken her staff and locked it away in the trunk, and Dylan could tell she'd been trying to figure out a way to break out ever since. But the airship was flying too fast to bail, and they were locked in the back seat. Mora would have tried to break out using her teleporting lift, but she apparently hadn't recharged fully from the last time she'd used it. They'd seen her close her eyes and try to summon the light a couple of times, but she eventually stopped when she'd realized she didn't have the energy to pull it off. So, she finally resorted to negotiating. If you drop us off in the alley between Sky and Ruby, we can pay you, she told the driver. It is only a few cubes away, and we have plenty of chips between the four of us to make it worth your while. The driver clenched his jaw and glared back at her through a mirror. Mora took his silence as a sign that he was mulling it over. You can tell them that we attacked you, and that- Quiet, you! The man punched the clear glass separating him from the back seat. Mora shot back into her seat. It's bad enough having tea leaf filth like you soiling the seats. I won't listen to you making noise, too. The man reached for a crystal blaster next to his leg, but then thought better of it. Biting her tongue, Moore did her best to suppress her anger and went back to bouncing her legs and thinking about how they were going to escape. 
It didn't help that inches away, Lainey was pretending she was nearing the climax of a romantic comedy. I can't believe I'm going to meet him, she was saying, fanning herself dramatically. He told me he'd be waiting for me at the top of the Empire State Building. Oh, my prince, my Romeo, my New York bodybuilding artistic scientist. Mac jumped in. There are over 8.6 million people in New York City, and none of them fit that description. Shut it, Mac, Lainey said, breaking character for only a second. Finally, they arrived at their destination. It wasn't exactly the Empire State Building, but it might as well have been. The airship floated back down to the ground, and a guard opened their door. Lainey beamed when she saw the crystal skyscraper and bounced up and down in her seat. Oh my word, we're here! Okay, 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 breathe, breathe. How's my hair? She looked at Dylan and teased her blonde bangs. Uh, frizzy? Dylan answered awkwardly. Lanny frowned at him. Frizzy, she repeated. Have you ever talked to a girl in your life, Dylan Cassidy? I swear. She shook her head and hopped out of the car behind Mora. Outside, they were roughly pushed together by the driver and two guards who were waiting for them. For a moment, they all stood looking up at the building. He was easily the tallest in the city and more than twice as tall as anything around it. The giant yellow crystal curved up into the sky like a massive glass banana. Dylan thought it was the most incredible structure he'd ever seen. Everything about it was perfect, from the smooth, flawless, clear surface to the impossible curved shape. The building didn't appear to have a single seam or crack in it, as if it were carved from a single giant stone. It was massive. It was beautiful. It was a castle. Hurry up, Kai is an impatient man, said one of the guards, pushing them towards the building. He and the other guard were dressed in shiny yellow armor, with an image of a cresting sun on the breastplate. Short red capes hung down their backs, and yellow crystal blasters were holstered at their sides. They were mainly talking to Mac, who was holding them up by taking the opportunity to admire their airship escort. Is it just me, or does this look exactly like a supercharged 1969 Corvette Stingray? He said, bending down to stroke the yellow airship's curves. It's almost an exact replica. He ran his hand along the bulging hood. How did they know? Dylan looked over the airship, and Mac was right. It did look almost exactly like a Corvette sports car. That's weird, he thought. How did they know how one of those looked? Did one fall down a hole at some point? The huge driver swatted Mac's hand away. Don't touch that. You heard a guard. Go on, move. He and the guards practically shoved them into the building. A massive foyer greeted them on the other side of the tall doors. Above them, Hanging from a 50-foot glass ceiling was a yellow crystal chandelier in the shape of a sun, and all around it was a winding, curved staircase. Dylan noticed that almost everything in the building was curved. The doors, the windows, the light fixtures, even the floor tiles came to sharp points and managed to fit together into a beautiful mosaic. The curvature of the room led to two hallways that curved away from either end of the foyer. You must be the bellhops, 
Laney said to the guards in a snobbish tone. I absolutely love the uniforms. <laughs> Would you both be a doll and bring some warm towels up to my room? She pulled out a dirty dollar bill and tucked it under the collar of one of the guards. She pointed up. What's the quickest way to the observation deck? My love's waiting for me up there and I don't want him to start thinking that I'm a flake. She leaned in and whispered behind her hand. I think he has a very important question to ask me. Her eyebrows bounced. Confused, the guards looked at each other and the dollar bill. You will be taken to Kai soon, the taller guard replied, not sure if he was understanding her correctly. He is expecting you, and your room is this way. He gestured to one of the hallways. Excellent, Blaney said, following his lead. And you are coming with me, Tilly. The driver grabbed Mora by the arm and led her towards the opposite hallway, while the two guards pushed Dylan, Mac, and Laney towards the far corridor. Remember to keep her in suite B-44, one of the guards reminded him. It's the one with the thicker walls. I'm not stupid, the driver barked. I've been here before. <laughs> Grunting angrily, he prodded Mora down the hall using her own spear. For a second, Dylan thought he could see the man smirking, clearly taking great pleasure in the moment. Dylan didn't like the thought of that guy taking Mora. He obviously had something against her tribe, and it didn't take a genius to know she was in real danger. But what was strange is she didn't seem to be putting up much of a fight. She just calmly walked away without saying a word. From what he'd seen, Mora could easily take that guy even without her spear. So what was she waiting for? Where are they taking her? Dylan asked the guards, who were leading them down the hall, one ahead of the group and one behind. It is none of your concern, the guard in front replied. It is our concern, Dylan said. She's with us, and we have the right to know what you plan to do with her. The guard suddenly spun around and stared menacingly at him with his beady yellow eyes. You don't have the right to anything, he hissed. You're in the Riser's Tower now, Kai's Sanctuary. Only he can determine what you have a right to. The bony man's face twitched as if it were fighting the urge to inflict pain, and then, with a whip of his cape, he turned and continued down the hall. Dylan decided not to test his luck with the guards. It sounded like Kai was the only one who could answer his questions anyway. After passing what felt like a hundred doors, they finally reached their room. Wait here, the guard said, ushering them into a large, spacious room. We'll come for you when Kai is ready. He shut the door and left them standing there confused, except for Lainey. She walked over and plopped down on a fancy couch as if this was a regular visit to Grandma's house. Maybe he just wants to freshen up before we meet, she told herself. He'll probably be standing up there waiting for me with a beautiful bouquet of flowers. She blissfully sniffed an invisible bouquet. Dylan shook his head at her and then walked around the room. It was beautifully decorated with crystal statues of all colors, some depicting the exotic places of under-earth. He stopped at a red crystal scene that was carved to look like a person walking through a tunnel of jagged red spikes. He was so mesmerized by the sculpture that he hadn't even realized Mac was talking to him. 
Hello, I said, did you see that Corvette airship? Mac repeated. There is no question that it was modeled after the 69 Stingray. (laughs) Why don't you go ask Kai if you can buy it from him? Dylan said sarcastically. Mac scrunched his face. What? You heard me. Go ask Kai if you can buy the airship from him. That's what you want, isn't it? Dylan's tone no longer sounded playful. Okay, what is your problem? Ever since we were thrown into that airship, you've been acting weird towards me. You seriously don't see it? Dylan was getting red in the face. How could you not? Mac, you have to be the most self-absorbed person on Earth. Mac's eyebrows shot up. What are you talking about? I'm talking about everything. You wanting that stupid crystal for your supercomputer so I let you talk me into digging for treasure? Then you miraculously find the crystal but won't give it up even when we are about to be killed by cleaver-wielding strangers in a sewer. And then, and then when we get out of there, you don't even close the door all the way so a freak monster blocked our escape. You can't even take two seconds to think through the details and we all suffer for it. And now all you can think about is the model of a stupid airship? I mentioned the airship because it looks like a Corvette. That's weird. Of course it's weird. Everything here is weird, Mac. Who cares? We could die down here. And yet, even when our lives are in danger, all you can think about is yourself and whether or not you can find an expensive lawyer to bail you out of trouble. Dylan fought the urge to throw a glass sculpture across the floor. Face it, you're a selfish rich kid who always gets what he wants. An uncomfortable silence fell over the room. It lingered for what felt like forever as Dylan's words struck home. Laney was no longer acting out her part, but sitting upright and glancing nervously between the two boys. Wow, Mac finally said, almost in tears. Is that really what you think of me? You think I'm selfish? Dylan hesitated and then nodded. Max shook his head and pointed at him. Don't forget that I tried to help you and your mom, but you wouldn't accept it. Your pride has caused others to suffer. I might get caught up in myself sometimes. Sure, guilty as charged, but nobody's perfect, Dill. You included. Dylan's heart was pounding he was so angry. Mac had brought his mom into this, and nothing set Dylan off like a jab at his family and their situation. Mac had no clue what they were going through, and he had no right to judge him for not taking his money. Before he could say so, the door opened and one of the guards entered. He is ready for you, but only you. He pointed a bony finger at Dylan. Dylan's heart jumped up into his throat. Me? That's what he said. Come on, let's go. Laney covered her mouth as she watched Dylan slowly walk out of the room. Even Mac couldn't hide his worried expression. The guard led Dylan to the end of the hall, where a series of thin, clear ropes ran from the ground up to an endless point above them. Stand next to the cable with your feet close together, like this, the guard instructed. Now hold on with two hands. Dylan looked at the man to see if he was being serious, and then seeing that he was, 
cautiously stepped onto a small circular crystal platform in the floor and then grabbed onto one of the cables that stretched up from it. The guard held on to the cable next to him, then reached over and tapped the 303 button next to both their lines. Foo! Dylan's body buckled to his ankles as the small circular disc under his feet shot him up the cable line. Dylan held on for dear life as his platform shot up dozens of floors per second. A stomach-churning minute later, the platform slowed and clicked into place on the 303rd floor. Dylan immediately fell to his knees and dry-heaved. Next to him, clearly unperturbed by the ride, the guard stepped off his platform and motioned for him to follow. Watch the floors, they were just cleaned, he said, before turning and continuing down the hall. This way. Dylan waited for his stomach to find its place in his abdomen before getting to his feet. He was standing in a tall corridor, also made of yellow crystal, but there was something distinctly different about this area of the building. It was full of earth stuff, random memorabilia and collectibles from pop culture. Staring bewildered at the decorations on the walls, Dylan slowly shuffled his trembling legs down the hall. There was a poster of the band The Beatles, and on the opposite wall hung a framed basketball jersey of Michael Jordan. Above it, projections flashed images of John Wayne cowboy movies and episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoons. Wide frames housed paintings of natural wonders like the Grand Canyon and Mount Everest. How's this possible? Dylan mumbled to himself. Hurry, the guard called. I'll carry you if I have to. I'm coming. Dylan walked a little faster to the end of the hall and through the tall door the guard was holding open for him. Beyond the door was a long room that came to a point at the far end. The floor was completely transparent, and Dylan could see now that he was on the top floor of the building, the furthest point of the curve that jutted out over the city. The view of tiny airships and people far beneath his feet made his stomach squirm. You must be the one who calls himself Dylan, came a voice in the room. Dylan glanced up from his feet and saw a man sitting in a curved crystal chair at the end of the room. The man's black ponytail and thin goatee and mustache were a dead giveaway. Kai, Dylan replied. A charming wide smile spread across Kai's face as he stood up and walked over. Up close... The man looked like a handsome vampire. His stature was impressive, at least six foot four or more, and the yellow armor he wore added considerably to his presence. He was a mountain of a man compared to the rest of the Ryanites Dylan had seen so far. Even so, the man's posture was more confident and welcoming rather than intimidating or menacing. Believe me when I tell you, it is an absolute honor to have you here. He shook Dylan's hand with two hands, and the man's unmistakable sincerity quickly put Dylan at ease. This was a very different person from the angry, intense man he saw shouting to the demonstrating crowd earlier. Kai nodded to the guard. Thank you for bringing him. I'll take it from here. The guard bowed before leaving the room. Dylan took a closer look at his surroundings. The hallway's collection of pop culture memorabilia was nothing compared to this room's treasure trove of trinkets. 
There were vintage arcade games and pinball machines in one corner and movie posters of Spielberg classics in another. A Harley-Davidson motorcycle was parked on a platform by the door, although from what Dylan could see, it looked a little off, like an artist's rendition rather than an actual bike. Projectors beamed scenes from timeless movies of every decade. The Wizard of Oz, Star Wars, Casablanca, and Indiana Jones. What do you think? Kai asked, joining in Dylan's admiration over the collection. A classic rock song played over a speaker in the ceiling, and Kai couldn't help but dance to the music and play an air guitar. Mm, can I just say that I love rock and roll? It just does something to me. What is happening? Dylan said slowly. He looked up at all the projections. I don't understand. How do you have all this when you've never been to the surface? Kai grinned and turned down the music. That is an excellent question. You're inquisitive, Dylan. I like that. He tapped a remote on his arm plate, and the projection showed an image of large square objects outside of the city and aimed up at the sky. Despite their odd shape, Dylan could tell they were some sort of satellite dishes. We've been able to pick up broadcast signals from the surface for some time now, Kai explained, his perfect angular eyebrows adding emphasis to his words. It was like opening up a window into your world. We've had our best minds gathering insights from these transmissions daily. As you can tell, there are many broadcasts and objects of the surface I have grown particularly fond of. Like this little thing. He held up a pink whoopee cushion. Don't you sit on it, and it makes the sound of flatulence. Fascinating and repulsive. I love it. He gave it a couple squeezes, making it let out some farting noises, before tossing it aside. None of these things are real, of course, just recreations by some of Ryan's finest artisans, but impressive, no? Dylan took another look around. Impressive was an understatement. Everything in the room looked authentic. Is this why you can all speak English? Dylan asked. You learned it by watching our TV and movies? Kai pointed a finger gun at him and pretended to fire. Bingo! We taught ourselves out of necessity so that we could understand what we were seeing. But then it assimilated into our culture. Funny how that works, isn't it? After a while, your language took preference over our primitive, outdated dialect. In case you couldn't tell, I personally took a liking to the British accent, although I'm still working on it. I find it makes everything I say sound important, doesn't it? Dylan couldn't help but laugh a little. Kai walked over and grabbed a plate next to his chair and brought it over. We've even tried to recreate your food, but I'll admit we haven't figured out how to replicate ingredients yet. Here, try it. Kai handed Dylan the plate which had a big juicy burger on it. It looked legit. Everything from the fluffy bun to the lettuce, tomato, and meat patty. The only thing off about it was the meat's slight bluish-green coloring. Reluctantly, Dylan picked up the burger and took a bite while Kai watched with giddy excitement. Dylan's chews grew slow as the disgusting taste set in. The burger tasted like an old sock full of wet dog food. It's terrible, isn't it? 
Kai said, reading his expression. Dylan nodded and handed the burger back to him. Kai shrugged. Well, it's a work in progress. Do you think that's bad? You should try our pizza. It literally killed one of our cooks. Dylan forced himself to swallow. So this is why you want to surface? You want all our food and stuff? Kai let out a hearty laugh. <laughs> Not quite, but it is a bonus. He pressed another button on his arm, and the projected images on the walls changed to scenes of war. Soldiers from World War I and II ran across the screens. Explosions flashed, and helicopters hummed over Vietnam. An atomic bomb exploded into a mushroom cloud. People shouted and rioted in the streets. Smog filled the air. Islands of plastic floated in the ocean. This is why, Kai said, now more serious. You see, Dylan, your people are ruining what rightfully belongs to us. If we wait much longer, there'll be nothing left. You will have destroyed all that is beautiful and pure up there. But it isn't all like that, Dylan insisted. There are a lot of good people up there. I believe you. Only the best of your people aren't doing enough, and I'm afraid it's time for us to intervene. I can't sit back and let the surface fall apart. Not while we're down here in this cold, stuffy, dark place. You've seen our city. You know what we're capable of. Imagine what your world would be like with our advancements and riches. Riches. Dylan shook his head and pointed to the images. That's what causes a lot of that stuff. It's what creates people like you. Greedy, power-hungry people that always want more. Kai smiled at Dylan's boldness. I like you more and more, Dylan. You are a smart boy, and you know what's important. You're right, of course. Greed causes problems on every layer of the earth. But we both know that a lot of good can be done with wealth also. That is what I want. I don't want more riches. I want progress for myself and my people. I want to feel the warmth of the sun and taste the salt of the ocean. I want to climb a mountain covered in trees and watch birds fly across an impossibly limitless sky. I want freedom. Now that he thought about it, Dylan had never realized how good he had it on the surface. He'd experienced everything Kai had just described many times and more, but he'd always taken it for granted. If you think it's so bad and that we're doing a terrible job, why not just wait for us to destroy ourselves? It'd save you the hassle of having to do it yourself. Oh, but I'm tired of waiting, Kai said, holding up his hands in exasperation. I'm tired of watching. So what are you going to do with us? With Mora? Don't worry, Mora's fine. You've obviously developed some sort of feelings towards her. She's a cute one, isn't she? Dylan felt himself get hot. No, I just want to make sure she's okay. She's helped us a lot since we've been down here. Kai smiled innocently. Sure, sure. She's fine. Everything's fine. He took what looked like an apple off the plate and bit into it. 
She's being held in a special room to make sure her abilities don't allow her to break out. She'll be kept comfortable for now, although I can't say as much for her father. Unfortunately, Grebe was taken by Union soldiers. They're holding him in his confiscated airship right across the street in the Union headquarters as we speak. But thanks to my influence in this city, I have the ability to negotiate his release. My guards are explaining this to Mora now, so that we can leverage her father's release in exchange for answers about what she knows. What does she know? Kai took another loud bite. Plenty. And what about us? Kai tossed the apple into a little basketball hoop hanging above the door. He missed, but at least he hit the rim. You and your friends are going to do a broadcast for me and tell all of Underearth how terrible things have gotten on the surface. You'll present yourselves as spies who want the surface to change and who came down here to ask for our help. Ding, 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 ding! That's where I come in. I use your convincing plea to push my rebellion through and just like that, we'll be on the surface within the week. Dylan still didn't understand. Why are you just talking to me about this? Because you, Mr. Dylan, are clearly the leader of your group. He clicked a button on his arm and the screen showed camera footage of their drive over. It showed Mora anxiously trying to talk her way out of the situation, while Mac is blabbing away and Laney is lost in fantasy land. Sitting in the middle of them, Dylan stared straight ahead. See? Kai pointed out. You are the calm in the storm, one who keeps his cool when things get out of hand. You do well under pressure, and from what I've overheard, you are smart, a leader. If you tell them to do the broadcast, they'll listen to you. For your efforts, I'll make sure you get back home using whatever hole you came through. Dylan scoffed. What, so you can just rise up behind us and take over the world? No thanks. Kai wagged his finger. Nah, ah, ah, ah. You will rise up with us and be crowned a prince of our rebellion. You'll be showered with riches and be made a powerful leader. You and your mother. Dylan felt a sudden zing of panic. Please don't look so surprised, Kai went on. I had a camera on your airship transport. Do you don't think I'd have one in your holding room too? I heard your little tiff with your chubby friend downstairs. He clicked his tongue. Friendship can be cruel. I've had to put an end to many of them myself. For what it's worth, I thought you made some very valid points. Stop, Dylan interrupted. You don't know me and you don't know my friends. We'll never help you. Not for all the riches on the planet. Kai paused and looked Dylan over, considering him sadly. I was afraid you'd say that. Very well. We'll have to do it the hard way then. He turned and typed into his arm, bringing a video feed of the Union Chancellor up on the projection. The old heavy-set man with drooping cheeks and a strange buzzed haircut looked surprised at the abrupt transmission. What is this all about, Kai? The Union Chancellor said irritably. Kai grinned cockily. Chancellor Holbin, pardon the intrusion. I'll be quick so you can get back to your third supper. 
You have no doubt been hearing rumors that the sky barrier was broken and there are surfaces hiding among our people. It's all rubbish. A lie you planted to put our people into a panic. It won't work, I tell you. Kai's grin widened as he stepped aside to allow the camera to focus on Dylan standing behind him. I only wish it was rubbish, Your Honor, he added in a fake helpless tone. The Chancellor's eyes widened and a look of horror crossed his face. Kai continued, I felt it necessary to inform you that I will be having this surfacer and his friends broadcast an important announcement within the next ten minutes. There may be some noise in the streets afterwards, and I wouldn't want your soldiers to be overwhelmed. The Chancellor's face darkened. Don't do this, Kai. Neither of us are ready for the consequences of such a broadcast. Let us speak first. Here, I'm having my guards escort me over now. Not necessary, Kai said, and he tapped a button on his arm, ending transmission. With another press of a button, he summoned the guard and told him to bring Mac and Laney up immediately. Kai walked to where the two walls came to a point in the room and stared out over the city. You've got three minutes to convince your friends to do as I ask, or your deaths will be broadcast. I really, really don't want to have to do that, but either way, I will get my message across and rise with my people. And if it means you're framed as an attacking intruder rather than heroes coming here to warn us, it makes no difference. As Kai spoke, Dylan spotted a dagger carved out of red crystal on display by the arcades. Quietly, he stepped over and tucked it into the back of his pants. He didn't know what he'd do with it exactly, but at least it was a weapon he could defend himself with. The door suddenly slid open and in walked the guard, pulling Laney and Mac into the room. They both looked just as wobbly and sick as he'd felt when he'd first come up. So that's what a fish feels like when they're reeled in, Mac said, recovering from the cable ride up to the 303rd floor. Once Laney had got her bearings, her eyes scanned the room and stopped on Kai before dramatically resuming her character. Oh, I knew you'd be here, she said, walking up to Kai, starry-eyed. Look at you in that handsome armor. Oh, and I always wanted a man who could pull off a ponytail. Like a knight come to sweep me off my feet. <clears throat> I'm here, my love. Kai looked at her, amused. She will definitely not be the one doing the talking. Dylan, explain the situation to your friends. I'll prep the cameras. Kai aimed the cameras at the kids while Dylan whispered to Mac and Laney. Look, he said, I, I don't really have time to explain everything, but basically that is Kai, and he plans to use us to get everyone excited about rising to the surface and taking over the world. And how does he plan on doing that? Mac asked, annoyed. He wants us to tell everyone in Under-Earth that our people are ruining the surface. If we don't say that, he'll have us killed. Either way, we die, Mac said. If we let them get to the surface, we're all toast. Exactly. Dylan looked at his best friend. He was still mad at him, but at the moment that all seemed insignificant now that their lives were on the line. We're on in three, two... Kai straightened his collar and fixed his cape. The guard next to him stepped back and took out his crystal blaster. Dylan swallowed and reached for the dagger behind him, his hands trembling. 
What was he going to do with a dagger when they had blasters? He was starting to panic. Any second now and the whole room would be live to under-earth. As his fingers gripped the hilt of the dagger, an alarm sounded. Kai held up his hand to halt the broadcast. A voice sounded in the overhead speaker. Sir, we have a problem in Sector B. What's going on? Kai shouted up at the speaker. It's the girl. She's escaped. Kai's veins bulged. How is that possible? She lifted through the wall, sir. The guard's shaky voice replied. She was supposed to be placed in room B-44. It appears she was mistakenly placed in room C-44, sir. That idiot! Kai roared. Stop her! There was a distant boom, and they all looked down through the glass floor to see a figure burst through the wall at the bottom of the building. In a blur, the figure flashed across the street and smashed through the wall of the Union headquarters. No! Kai shouted. Seconds later, Mora's airship roared out of the building and soared up towards them. When it came level with their room, it hovered. Porthole covers along its hull dropped and silver cannons emerged, taking aim at the room. Get down! The guard shouted. Everyone dropped to the floor. Boom, boom, boom! The glass walls shattered as what appeared to be rock cannonballs came ripping through the room, shattering through a few walls behind them. Howling wind filled the room and whipped their hair and clothes. Dylan saw Mora as the airship's side door opened. She was waving for them to jump. Come on, Dylan said, jumping to his feet. He, Laney, and Mac ran for the point of the room and jumped onto the hovering ship floating just outside. Once they were inside, Mora ran back up to the cockpit and grabbed the controls. Dylan could hear Kai screaming behind them. Aim for the engines, he yelled. Several guards aimed their crystal blasters and shot crystal bullets into the airship's jet engines. Cluck, cluck, boom! One of the engines erupted into a fireball, and the whole airship lurched to one side, smashing into the building and making Dylan fall out of the doorway. Throwing out his hand, he grabbed onto the lip of the door and held on. The ship lurched again as Moore straightened the ship and took off. Laney and Mac bent down to help Dylan back in, but they struggled to lift him while the ship wobbled. Behind them, Union Patrol airbikes left the Union headquarters and zipped after them, their screeching sirens howling through the city. The slick silver airbikes were gaining on them now that the airship only had one working engine. They're almost on us, Mac shouted to Mora. I am going as fast as I can, Mora yelled, pushing the levers as hard as she could. Dylan looked at the approaching airbikes and noticed ladder rungs in the side of Mora's airship. Laney followed his gaze. Don't you even think about climbing up that, she shouted, still holding onto his arm. I got it, Dylan said, grabbing hold of the ladder with his free hand. Let go! No! Laney! Laney finally let go and Dylan climbed up the ladder on the side of the airship until he was under the balloon near the rear of the ship. The bikes were so close now he could almost jump on them if he wanted to. He saw the Union soldiers aiming what looked like boomerangs. Dylan grabbed onto one of the ropes attaching the ship to the balloon. Then, with his free hand, he drew the crystal dagger and sliced the balloon. 
A burst of air blew out the back of the balloon, blowing away the air bikes and sending the airship blasting out of the city. Dylan's whole body went sideways as he held onto the rope and the ship flew out of control over the outer rim and down towards the boiling sea. He could hear the roar of the remaining engine as its reverse thrusters struggled to slow the ship's acceleration. Little by little, it slowed and the ship splashed down with a hiss into the boiling sea. Dylan felt his way through the deflated balloon that now draped over him and the ship like a giant blanket. Dylan, are you alive? He heard Laney shout. I'm alive, he called back. He heard Laney's gasp of relief as he tucked the dagger back under his shirt and climbed down the ladder. When he reached the open door, Laney hugged him and pulled him inside. Oh my gosh, I thought you were dead. I just heard a pop and a, and a boom and oh, I'm so glad you're okay. She gave him a shove. That was the stupidest thing you've ever done and that's saying a lot. Dylan threw up his hands. Seriously? We got away, didn't we? That was really stupid, Mac agreed. Who do you think you are, Tom Cruise? You're welcome, Dylan told him. You fool, Mora marched over to them. You cut my balloon. I had to so we could get away. They were almost on us. Now we have no lift and we're stranded in the boiling sea. Dylan, Laney, and Max suddenly became keenly aware of the burning hot sensation around them. Their faces were sweating and steam rose up in the open doorway. Outside the door, an ocean of bubbling, boiling water hissed and gurgled against the side of the ship. Shut the door, Mora told them. We now have no choice but to go down. Down? The kids all said at once. Down, Mora repeated, taking her seat in the cockpit. But what's down there? Laney asked, not sure she wanted an answer to her question. Mora shrugged. I do not know. I have never been there. But we will soon find out. The kids looked at each other nervously and then at the handle by the door. After letting out a long breath, Dylan grabbed it and pulled down. The door slid shut. Hey Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Digger. I know it's kind of a long one, but I hope you liked it. If you have a minute, please tell your family and friends about this story or any of your other favorite stories from the Purple Rocket podcast. You can shoot them an email, share a post on Facebook, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All that helps people discover the show and helps our Rocketeer community grow. I love getting your feedback and I love reading your reviews. 
like Tayo from Menlo Park, California. Tayo, you're awesome. Thank you for your review. Keep them coming, Rocketeers. I also want to give a special thanks to my mom, Roxanne Webb, who is my editor and makes these stories so much better. As you can imagine, I don't have a lot of time to read through these stories after I write them, so having her look over them and clean them up a bit is hugely helpful. Thanks, Mom. You're the best. Appreciate your moms, Rocketeers. They do amazing things. Thank you all again for listening, and don't forget to check back regularly for all new episodes. This is your host, Greg Webb.